Hello, and welcome to episode 214 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Clay Adams, creator of Dead Skin, Red Xmas, and Pregnant Bitches of War. Volume 2 is coming to Kickstarter very soon. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructing Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Clay, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Um, could you give us a quick bio about yourself and then a uh, elevator pitch for Pregnant Bitches of War? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am mostly known as, a, as an actor, a voice actor. I, I did uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Yu-Gi-Oh! and uh, an episode or two of Pokemon um, and, uh, and a bunch of soaps back in the day. And, um, and then mostly these days I'm doing a, um, a lot of comics, a lot of indie comics. Um, I just had my first book published through Scout Comics called Red Xmas. Um, I have another comic comic coming out soon from another publisher. Uh, it's too early to talk about, but, uh, look for that announcement. Um, I don't know, maybe in the near future. And, uh, and yeah, I've been doing Kickstarter here for, um, what, like seven years now. Um, and I'm on my, I think this is my 10th campaign I'm about to launch tomorrow. So it's like, um, it's old hat, but it's also like, you know, you, you still get the nerves the night before, like, is, you know, how's this going to go? Um, but yeah, so, so the new, the new book is, um, is the new issue of PBOW that's pregnant bitches of war. And I apologize if this is a family show. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's about uh, six pregnant women who are uh, sucked from the time stream by inventor Nikola Tesla. They accidentally kill a young Hitler and make the world worse. And now with Tesla acting as Charlie to their angels, they must save the world from a hell of their own creation before their water breaks. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and one thing I always get a chuckle of is, um, you know, just sort of doing research and, and, and just sort of brushing up on your material. I went to your webpage and there's like a quote from Brian K. Vaughn. It's like, like yeah. something to the effect, like the title says it all, right? Or something like that. What, what yeah, is it? Yeah, he says, uh, he says it's a comic as audacious as its title. Yes. And that was, um, it, he actually said that in a, in a saga letter column, which was very cool. That is cool. It was a nice, nice little shout out. Yeah. Did you, yeah. did you, I, I know that it's, you know, depending on how precious you, you feel about those comics, did you sort of cut that out and put that anywhere where you could, could, <laughs> could look at it or anything? I, I, I didn't cut it out, but I was like, that's definitely my pull quote. I'm going to use that on everything. That's, definitely. You, yeah. You're going to see that, you know, that's, <laughs> that's led off all of my Kickstarters for sure. Awesome. So, um, you know, you, you, you talked about in the, in the, in the, bio the the acting work um and a lot of it is, is is voice acting but you said soap so you were you were on screen in 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 soaps yeah yeah so i i had um i had recurring roles on so there were like when i was a, a an actor in new york there were four soap operas that shot there there was uh there was one life to live and all my children those were the abc soaps and then uh then cbs had guiding light and as the world turns and so I had recurring roles on three of them. I, I never worked on Guiding Light. That got canceled shortly after I, I started working in the soaps. But, but I worked on, um, I think my first one was One Life to Live and I played a cop. Um, and uh, and I, would, I would recur there at, uh, at, at Landview PD, um, you know, two or three times a, a month playing a cop. 
and then um and then i then i booked after that i booked as the world turns and i played a character named lloyd who was a bartender at the lakeview lounge and um and that was kind of so like i always describe that role as like gunther from friends you know so it's uh, so again it's like you know three or four times a month you might you might see lloyd at the lakeview lounge you know chatting it up with with you know one of the one of the main characters um, and then a couple of a couple of times they 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 bumped me up and and you know I I did uh, you know had more of a you know a meteor role for that and then um, and then I also did all my children um, playing playing an EMT and that was a that was probably less frequent but I probably did that one about once a month um, and because I was non-contract I could I could bounce around between all three of them. And, uh, and you could do, you know, you could do pretty well doing those little small roles uh, un under fives mostly is what they called them. Cause it's usually like under five lines. Did so, you, did you, no, oh, sorry, sorry, oh, no, just, just another quick acting question. Did you, uh, did you go to like, uh, like a formal school or were you sort of, um, going to like acting classes sort of, you, I don't know if the right word is sort of like almost like night school sort of like um, acting classes. How did, how did you get your training? Yeah, I mean, kind of like all of the above. I mean, I, I so I started as a kid acting, like I think I was eight years old. I started taking acting classes. And then the woman that taught those classes had a good relationship with the agents around town. And this was in Atlanta um, back in the, you know, 80s, late 80s. And, um, and so back then, like the Atlanta market was mostly, um, you know, like training videos for corporations or every now and then you'd get like a regional commercial. So the, the local agents, if they ever needed a kid, they would contact my acting teacher and she would send people in. And so I, I booked my first gig um, playing like a, a grandchild of a, of a woman in a nursing home. And, uh, and that, that sort of led to, you know, I, I think I did like a, um, like a Hardee's commercial and then some other things. And, um, and then finally, like I was working pretty steadily by the time I went to college, I went to NYU and I did study acting there. And then once I got out and started working, like you're just, you're, you're always taking, um, you're always taking new classes. Mostly it was like audition classes and things like that to try to help you book some jobs. In fact, that's how you know, I met a lot of casting directors doing that, you know, taking acting classes taught by the casting directors. That's cool. So did you stay in New York while after you went to NYU and that's sort of how you got all the, the soap opera jobs? Yeah, yeah. Once, I mean, having been there, like, I don't know that I could have moved there not going to school, you know, mm -hmm. but because I was there and I had a support group and I knew some people, um, that, that sort of made me feel a lot more secure about just like going for it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That's really cool. That's sort of like, and that's some, that sounds like some good advice wrapped into some, you know, sort of some, you know, uh, a little information about you to have sort of a support group when you move out to New York city. That's yeah. yeah it it so. always helps to know somebody, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so when did the voice acting start? So was that something that you had started when you started like, you know, um, on screen acting or was it before or after what, 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 what came first, I guess. So I started, like, I started doing voice acting even back when I was in Atlanta. Um, you know, I do radio commercials and things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, um, but once I got in New York 
you know, the animation voiceover is really tough to get into. Hmm. But I just happened to, to get lucky because they were recasting this role on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and they needed somebody. It was actually for this guy right here. Um, this is my action figure. Nice. Um, and they, they, needed, uh, they needed somebody who could sound like really young. And I guess they had recorded like six episodes or maybe even, maybe even more than that, like 10 episodes with somebody who they just felt like didn't sound young enough. And because they had already auditioned like everybody that they, that they normally dealt with, um, they opened it up to auditions and it was such a rare thing. And my agent got me in for an audition. I, I came in and felt like I had a, a really good rapport with the director. And I booked it and I, and so, so I was a recast. I don't feel too bad for the other guy because he, he still gets plenty of work. Like he was fine. They used him for other things. Um, but once you get in the door, like work begets work. Hmm. And so, um, so really was just like getting in that door the first time. And then, you know, they started calling me in to do Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and, and all these other things. And, uh, and yeah, it just kind of, kind of snowballed from there. That's really cool. And I, I guess I, I kind of am, I like sort of, you know, getting your background here because it sort of informs then, I, I always think that it informs then like your creativity in comics as well. So it's really cool to get this full backstory. So I promise we'll get to the comics eventually, but- No worries, I'll talk did, about anything. Did you have a love of like, was that something that um, that you you did, like you said, it's hard to break into and like voice acting for animation. Was that something that you sort of always had at the back of your mind is like, this is something I would love to do is voice acting? Not at all. I, I mean- really? Well, may, maybe not at all is, is overstating it. Like I just wanted a job, you know, yeah. like I was happy to be working, doing anything. And, um, and, you know, I knew people that were doing the animation voiceover and I, and I thought it would be cool. Like I thought it would be a cool gig and I thought it would be something that I might be good at, but I didn't like, I just wanted a job. Like, like I moved to New York. I thought I was going to be on Broadway you know, and, you know, I, I was a classically trained actor at the Stella Adler Conservatory. You know, I thought I was going to be doing Shakespeare and Chekhov and like all of this stuff. And it, my career just didn't work out that way. Like I just, I, I never, um, I never got even close to Broadway. You know, I, I, I did a lot of uh, uh, little scene theater all over New York um, as, as many new, act, new York actors have. But I, but once it came time to like, you know, booking those real paying jobs, it really was, it was the soaps, it was voice acting and, um, and commercials. And, and so that's just sort of the way my career went. And I just sort of went with it. That's awesome. That's really great though. It's, and it's so cool to sort of hear your, uh, you know, philosophy there because like yeah at the end of the day it's it's um it's art right you know so it is you have a passion for it but it does have to pay the bills which is something that's sort of you know we sort of romanticize being an actor but at the end of the day you know it's what you gotta do it's it's a job you you know you you do want to get that paycheck but what's you know like what's fun about it is like sure it's not it's not the classics but but to some people like it is classic you know like i just you know, so I, I did this role on, on Ninja Turtles like 15 years ago or something. 
and uh and like i'm still signing fan mail for it you know and like i I did a i i did a podcast with a guy over in in europe you know he's in he's in britain and you know he's he's like i'm he he asked me you know what's your favorite role you've ever done and i was like well i like i guess i'd probably have to say this because it's like 15 years later and we're still talking about it you know like i've done i've had higher paying gigs but this is the thing you know people still care about and that's cool and that's yeah, exactly. Right. And you, you bring so much joy to the world through that, you know, that's, that's gotta feel great. Um, for sure. Yeah. And I know as this, as a child of cartoons and things like that, like, uh, when I see the actor who played Spider-Man in the nineties show up on like a sitcom or something like that, I get excited. So yeah, right. those people mean something. Yeah. To, yeah, well, for I, sure. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I guess so not to hog all the questions and things like that, but where did your love of comics come from? Is that something that's always been there like your whole life? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I loved The Incredible Hulk, you know, the the TV show. I loved Wonder Woman. I loved the 60s Batman. Um, That was all like deadly serious to me, high art, uh, super friends, all of that stuff. And I, and so I I had all the toys and, and, you know, Kenner came out with these uh, superpowers toys and they all came with a little mini comic, you know, like they were, they were really tiny. I mean, I don't even, I don't have anything to, to show, Matt, but like that about the size of you? note card. Now, I, I wish I did. I wish I did. I think Matt might have one. Do you have one behind you? Matt? Oh, do you have one uh, a figure or a, a, a small, I have like the fig- mini comic that came with the superpowers. Oh, no, I don't have a, a mini comic uh, with me right now or anything like that. But maybe sort of like the like if you would go to a con and somebody was trying to, um, you know, show something to a publisher, they might give them an ash can. So is it like similar in, in shape to that? Well, I mean, it was full color, like okay. it was a full comic, but it was literally like the size of a note card. I mean, like, I don't know how like huh. all these kids reading it didn't go blind. Right? <laughs> But they were, and they were all numbered too. So like you, you had to collect them all, you know, so you'd get all the different toys and they'd come with a different com- mini comic. And that's kind of how I discovered comics. Like, oh, these, like, this is a thing. Like, I, I don't just have to wait for super friends. Like they have, they have these comics. Like I can read and I can reread. And then one day I went into, you know, it must've been like a pharmacy or something that had a comic rack and I was like, oh, holy cow. They have like big versions of these. And so one of the one of the very first comics I ever bought was the second issue of Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, the, mm. uh, the Alan Moore, you know, mm. last Superman story. And that, I mean, Man, like that ruined comic. Yeah. It's a great comic, right? Yeah. And a great like first comic. Yeah. So I really started reading at a great time when a lot of cool stuff was happening with Crisis and Year One, um, Frank Miller. So like, I mean, I read those things, you know, just till they were tatters. And um, and yeah, so I, I just I always loved comics. I would write and draw my own comics all through, you know, school. I was the kid that like all all the other kids wanted to go out and and play baseball and ride bikes. And I was like, ah, I just think I'll stay home and, and draw comics. <laughs> and then I, you know, I, I never I guess I kind of like went away from it you know, when, when I went to college. 
but I still, I still like, I, I, I tried to take the Stanhattan project, um, which is, uh, um, my cat's meowing at the door. He desperately wants to get in. Um, so the Stanhattan Project was something that they did at NYU where a couple of editors from Marvel would come down and they would teach a course on writing comics. And it wasn't like, it was like not officially, um, uh, not officially like NYU. It was like, it wasn't a class. You didn't get credit for it, right? But you just, you signed up for it. And um and I really wanted to do it because the the first year they had had a guy come out of that who um, who started writing for Marvel, and uh, that was a guy named Joe Kelly. Oh and wow! Yeah, so so Joe right, so Joe's written a bunch of stuff now, and uh, but but I knew him as the AV guy for the NYU dramatic writing program. So like he was the guy, kids back in the day, like before the internet, if you wanted to watch a movie in class, some dude had to wheel in a cart that had a TV and a VCR, right? And he'd have to like hook that up and, and make sure that everything worked. That's the AV guy. Joe Kelly was that guy. Wow. And so suddenly he went from that job to writing for Marvel. So I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this. Like I haven't read comics in a few years. I'll go do this, and I'll, you know I'll be I'll be writing for Marvel. <laughs> so I went to the class, and um, and by that point I was a double major doing acting as well, and it was just like there was just it was so time consuming. I couldn't. I, I was like I I don't I don't think I can read like every issue of Silver Surfer ever written, you know, so I can come up with my Silver Surfer pitch because that was the curriculum. You had to like you, you had to come up with like a year's worth of of Silver Surfer stories or something. And um, so I, I think I, I ultimately like dropped out after the the first one, but I did uh, you know I I or maybe maybe two maybe I went to two. But there was one guy in the class that the editors just fell all over. They loved this guy and he, he, could, he, he could do no wrong um, and he continues to do no wrong. It is Brian K. Vaughn uh, who gave yeah. me that great quote. Um, so just to bring this, I guess, back full circle. So, so somebody started working for Marvel after that, but it wasn't me. Wow, that's it's, uh, it's a, what's it called? That Gwyneth Paltrow movie? Uh, was it Sliding Doors? Sliding or whatever? Doors. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right. In, a, in another in another universe, that was me. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's so cool. Thank you for that story. That's that was great. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, um, I know that we're going to move into the comics, and, and we, we are transitioning into that. But I, I have a question. Um, do you find that the time working in soaps? and sort of having to learn lines and deliver lines, do you feel like maybe that helps you with comic dialogue? Because I feel like, I mean, I haven't watched this open a long time, but I feel like sort of like some of the way sort of like plot and sort of like motivations are delivered are sort of maybe done the same way in dialogue and comics. Because a lot of times, you know, if two people are having an argument in a soap, you know, like I'm doing this because you did this to me and this is, you know, so there's right. a lot of like narrative to like move the, the story. And like, you know, a lot of people say like, people don't talk in comics, like they talk in the real world. And mm -hmm. I don't think like in soaps, people talk like they would in the real world. So do you feel like that that might've informed your dialogue in comics? I think, I mean, definitely being an actor has influenced my dialogue because 
I speak dialogue all the time, right? Like right. E even, you know, commercial copy or whatever, like I'm, I'm speaking words. So, so I tend to, I, I think that's helped me sharpen my dialogue because I know what sounds good coming out of somebody's mouth. Like I, I, you know, I'll write a lot of dialogue and I'll, and if I think, oh, well this, you know, you can't really say that. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really come out of the mouth because I try to read everything out loud. Um, so that has definitely helped. In terms of the soaps, honestly, what I, I, I think that's influenced my, my writing more in the sense of like how the soaps were written. Because what they would do is that they, they would, um, they would have what are, I think what they would call breakdowns and, and forgive me, it's been, I'm like, I've, I've been out of that world for, for so long. Um, that may not be the proper term, but they would do what's called breakdowns where they would literally break down the episode. So the writers would all get into a room and, you know, the head writer would come up with the stories or whatever, but then they would, they would farm it out to like the writer's assistants or the junior writers to do what are called breakdowns where they would literally be like, okay, now, now I know what has to happen in this episode, right? And I'm just gonna break it down into scenes. And I've gotta make sure that every scene is moving the story forward for each character. And, um, and so they'd have these things laying around all the time, all these breakdowns. So, so that the actors could see you know, where the storyline is gonna go. And then from there, a more senior writer would then take the breakdowns and then flesh it out into a full script. And so I kind of I, I kind of think of comics writing sort of that same way. Like I will sort of break it down in that same way where it's like writing out each scene and making sure everything's kind of moving the ball forward. And then I will flesh out the, those breakdowns into a full script. So I, I think that has probably influenced it. And then just in terms of, I mean, I, I guess comic, like I try to think of, I'm trying to think of comics more these days as like self-contained units, more like short stories rather than the serialized, you know, cause soap operas like never end, you know, like a day in soap opera time, you know, could last a year of episodes mm -hmm. um, it, because time is just so decompressed. And I kind of feel like comics have gone so far in that direction into the decompressed soap opera storytelling that I kind of miss the sort of more like, nope, here's a here's just a chunk of story. Um, you know, just you're getting it just in one shot and it's all here between the covers. Nice. So, you know, the you've done the the time and soaps, you've done the voice acting, and, and you're getting back in the comics. Um, and you're making the decision to 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 make your own comics. Uh, what was your your sort of first steps? Were you were you trying to pitch publishers and and or did you go directly with the the crowdfunding route? I went straight to not necessarily crowdfunding, but it was more like web comics. Okay. Um, I mean, I did like there were other there were other episodes in New York. Like I I um, I interviewed to to be an assistant editor at DC. Um, I, I knew somebody who was already working there as an, as an assistant editor. And I um, and she got she put in a good word and I had a couple other people, you know, put in some good words for me. And so I I kind of I kind of got I kind of made it pretty far in the process where like I thought, oh, I'm gonna be like either the the Superman assistant editor or the Batman assistant editor. And I literally like I was there at my interview 
um, uh, to be the, the assistant editor for Superman. And I'm talking to the editor and it's like, the interview's going great. I don't have any experience, but he kind of seems like, you know, okay, but maybe I can train this guy. And literally like in the middle of my interview, uh, somebody walks in to be like, oh, hey, um, to the editor, I, I just want to let you know, um, your entire staff quit. So you've got to hire like a whole team now and not just like one person. And like, I could, I could feel in the room like, oh, I, I am not going to get this job anymore. Like I, I had it two seconds ago, but, but now that everybody has to be replaced, nobody wants to train this guy. Um, so like I, I had, I had things like that where it was like, it was so, it was close. Like I felt, you know, getting close to the industry, but um, but no, I, I kind of felt like I'd be better off just like making my own thing and getting it out there rather than, rather than trying to pitch. Cause I, I didn't have a track record, you know, I was not a known quantity. So, so my writing partner, uh, Alexander Philippe, um, he and I were writing a bunch of stuff those days and we had written a screenplay, uh, called Deadskins. And uh, there was a subplot to that that uh, that involved uh, that involved pregnant women, and I won't I won't give any spoilers. But there was a there was a scene at the end where we had all the angry pregnant women with their guns, and we were just kind of laughing. And we were like, "Oh well, this should be our next screenplay. It's pregnant bitches of war," <laughs> and uh, and we laughed because it was such a dumb idea. And they were like, well, "Wait, well, wait a minute. Well, what if we could make this like?" half decent you know let's let's try to make this good and then we thought well you know it's not it doesn't really sound like a screenplay it sounds more like a comic book and at that point like kickstarter was maybe maybe hadn't really come about yet or if it was it was just like something people whispered about like there i didn't have a whole lot of information about it but i knew people were starting to put things up on the web and, and trying to gain some traction with that. So it, you know, it took us a while to, to make PBOW into a script and come up with a story and come up with characters and find an artist. So by the time we did that, it was a few years later. And at this point I wasn't living in New York anymore. I was, I was living in Atlanta and we decided we were gonna launch our own website and we were going to make a bajillion dollars selling 99 cent downloads of our comic book. Right. Um, and you can probably guess how that went. Um, it, you know, uh, we, we are not bajillionaires, but we learned quite a lot, you know, like we, we, we made five issues of PBOW. We translated dead skins into a comic we regularly posted it on our website, you know, for sale. We cultivated a mailing list. And, um, and so like, it was a huge learning experience, but we, we lost a ton of money, you know, cause we just thought, we thought, well, 99 cents. I mean, it, you know, of course somebody like what's holding you back from paying 99 cents, right? So like everybody's gonna do it, but we didn't know anything about marketing or, you know, ads or anything like that, driving traffic. So then we did Kickstarter. We had another series we were going to start called Red Xmas. And we, we, we went to Kickstarter for the first issue. And by, by then, this is like 2014. And we started doing the Kickstarter. And like we had a, a very low goal 
but but still like halfway through the campaign i was like oh we are not gonna make it this is not gonna end well and so i started frantically googling like you know how how do i how do i run a comic book kickstarter like something i should have done a long time ago right and up comes the comics tribe blog by tyler james and he's got all these great blog posts about how to run a comic book Kickstarter. So I, I like took all, I binge read all of these things, took all of his advice, put them all into practice and we barely funded, but we did, we funded. But it was such like a demoralizing experience for, for my co-writer. I think he was kind of like, yeah, I don't, I can't do that again. Like mm. that, th this was too difficult. Like I just can't do it. And so, and we had, some, we had a couple of other things kind of happen uh, uh, business-wise that, um, that I may or may not bore you with these stories later on. Uh, but we had a few things happen to us business-wise that like a long time went by before we were really ready to try Kickstarter again. And at that point, Tyler had kind of started his courses and things and I started taking them and applying those lessons and then and then it was just kind of like boom, 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 boom. You know, it was trying to stacking the one Kickstarter on top of the other, and they that kind of started to grow. So, so it's now like it's at the point where um, that's like that's the business. You know, you mm -hmm. go you go on Kickstarter and 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 hopefully have a successful Kickstarter. Um, and then you once you've you've got that paid for now you can take it to a company like scout or you know some of these other companies that are out there that are that are publishing books that have already found success on kickstarter that's really cool um not to backtrack too far into the like you know the like where some of the ideas came from on the on the timeline with um dead sure. skins and pregnant bitches of war but I'm wondering, and kind of piggybacking off of a question, a couple of questions ago from Matt about, you know, what you learned from soap opera. But are you, I'm just curious for you as an actor, do you ever like, I know like you're, you're probably thinking first and foremost, of course, because you said like Pregnant Bitches of War was a comic first and foremost, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering like, would you ever like write characters for yourself that you're like, this is a character I would like to play? Or is that sort of something? Because like for me as a someone who draws, it's like, I want to draw something that I would like to draw, you know? design right. something fun to draw for me but also serves the story is that sort of something similar for you where you're like and you can inhabit the characters while you're writing and like enjoy inhabiting them almost and that's do you understand that question yeah 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 totally i mean I, I i don't think i approach it that way where it's like this is a character that i want to play but i definitely do you know acting out and 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 reading of the dialogue to make sure that it plays well but I do sort of like, like you know, PBOW, I, I feel like could make a halfway decent radio drama or, you know, podcast drama. Um, but I, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't play a pregnant lady. You, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. I, I, I just don't think there are, there are roles I can, I can play there. Um, and, and when we wrote Deadskins, like I definitely, we definitely cast it in our, in our heads, you know, like I, I specifically remember like the character of Shane, we were kind of thinking like, okay, well, this is like a, you know, like a Jason Bateman kind of guy, you know, um, and, and, you know, there are other, you know, other characters that you kind of, you kind of cast and you hear those voices, um, but nothing that, that particularly I was like, yeah, I want to play this role. 
Yeah, it was just something that popped into my head. I was like, I wonder if he ever thinks that way of comics, you know, like inhabits the role like while you're writing it. But yeah, that that's cool. Uh, it's still a cool approach, no, no matter what. Well, like you know, and your your books are really interesting. So something worked, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm having yeah. fun, you know. Yeah. Like that's that's the idea is to enjoy it, you know. Because if yeah. you're not enjoying it. I think it probably shows in the end, in the end product, right? And it it's really like, why, does. Why are you doing it if you're not having fun? Yeah. yeah, and I think, I mean, I would hope you're having fun with titles like Pregnant Bitches of War. I really hope. That's all I'm, you know. That's, we're, uh, we're having a good time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you do those, uh, when you do those readings to, you know, by yourself, reading out the dialogue, um, just to sort of hear it said out loud and with your... Um, background in voice acting are you varying the the voices so like when character a is speaking you're giving it sort of a voice and then you go to character b and like the tone or the you know the inflections are, are different to you do you vary the voices as well yeah i think i mean probably in, instinctually in some ways but you know but then there are times where it's just like i i you know i i feel that time crunch of you know i've got I got to pick up a kid or, you know, do, do something else that, that mm -hmm. requires my attention. So it's sort of, it's just sort of more of like a, just kind of a straight reading just to sort of see like, okay, can, can I get my mouth around these words? Um, but, but yeah, I think there are definitely times where it's like, you're, you're in the flow and you're reading it and you're writing something that you're just, you're, you're kind of enjoying where, where I, I do think, you know, that, that acting muscle, even though I'm not, I'm not acting a whole lot these days, you know, that, that muscle is still there. So I'll still just sort of in, instinctively use it. Yeah. That's awesome. The, so the, what was the first book that went to Kickstarter? Was that, was that dead skins? So, so no, it, it was, it was, it was Red Xmas. We, we oh, did okay. the, we did the first issue. And like I said, it was such a struggle to fund then the second one we did, um, rather than going back and doing a new issue of Red Xmas, we needed <laughs> we needed cash, and uh, and so we did what we should have done in the first place, which is we collected PBOW into a, a trade, because that all that art was already paid for. All we had to do was pay for the printing and the shipping. So we set a, a really low goal, did the trade got enough cash to then um i i think i think pay for the art or at least make a good dent on the art for the second issue of red xmas okay and then and then it was kind of the same thing like i think our next campaign we did refried comics which is where we took public domain comics and we stripped out all the word balloons and we rewrote them improv style nice and so again, yeah, that was like a thing where again, like it's all public domain. So, so we're not, we're not paying for anything. Um, you know, we made it, we made a contribution to the heroes initiative, um, you know, sort of like penance for, for taking all this art, you know, that, that people already made, but, uh, but, but that was something where it was like, we weren't outlaying, you know, a bunch of cash to uh to pay an artist so that we could then whatever was left over from the printing and the shipping and the fulfillment we could then roll into a third issue of red xmas and then um so we only we you know i wasn't even gonna 
bring out dead skins until last year. I was talking to Charlie Stickney and he, he was like, you know, with this, you know, with the pandemic and everything, like creators just are not launching Kickstarters. This was like April, March of last year. And, and, you know, he was like the, the, the backers are there. They're still, they're still backing things. And I thought, well, maybe this is an opportunity where there's like, there's not as much competition for eyeballs so maybe I could get a little more traction. And so, you know, Charlie was like, if you have anything you can launch, just go ahead and launch it now. And I was like, all right, well, I got this thing. Let's throw it up there and see how it does. And lo and behold, it was our most successful Kickstarter to that point by, by a wide margin. Um, and it was just th this thing I was, that was sitting in the drawer that I wasn't even going to whip out. Um, and so we've, we've done two campaigns for that. They've, they've both gone extremely well. We're going to do the final volume later this year. And, um, and yeah, so, so finally, finally, all of the original fried comics will be collected. Um, we're working on the second volume of PBOW now. And then I've got some other, uh, some other things that I'm writing just solely, you know, by myself, that will probably be kickstarted likely under the fried comics banner, just because that's what I've, that's the audience I've built, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't want to see that go to waste. So I certainly want to talk about volume two of uh, PBOW. Um, but, you know, you did mention that Red Xmas um, was picked up by Scout. Mm -hmm. um, so was that a process of you reaching out uh, to, to them or and I, I don't know if this is correct, but, you know, I get the impression with, with Scout, um, you know, that they're sort of looking at like really well done, uh, successful Kickstarters. So I don't know if it's a process of, or maybe it's a mixture of both where they're like looking at those things and saying, Hey, you know, you did that there, it worked really well. Do you want to bring it over here now? Or so what was, right. what was your, the case for you? So my, my experience was that, um, I like, I'm, I'm sure there, there must be cases where like they see a Kickstarter that blows up and they go after it. Mm -hmm. um, that has not been my experience on the platform and, and just sort of my philosophy in life is just like, don't wait for somebody to come to you. Like if you want to do something, you got to like put the feelers out there. So, uh, so Charlie, who I was just uh, talking about, Charlie Stickney, he's the co-publisher of Scout Comics. Um, he he and I met when I was doing the first trade for PBOW. So this was this was like I don't know 2016, 2017 probably, and um, I so this was the second Kickstarter I'd ever done. He was just launching White Ash that was blowing up, and and so I, straight out of the Tyler James playbook, I uh, I shared his campaign. I sent him a note. Didn't know him at all. Sent him a note letting him know, hey, I just wanted you to know your project looks awesome. I shared it with my backers. Uh, I hope it brings you, you know, some more pledges. And he responded, um, he responded like, oh, wow. Okay. Um, you know, thank you. I, I, I don't think I can share your project because I, I, I don't know how some of my higher tier backers would feel about backing a book called Pregnant Bitches of War. Um, but I will back your book. It looks, it looks cool. And, you know, I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and we just sort of developed a, a friendship and a relationship from there. 
And um, and then so when Red Xmas was wrapping up, like a few years later, at that point, he had started, I don't think he was co-publisher at that point, but he had started doing some editorial work for them. And um, and I just kind of asked, hey, do you do you know like who I should send this to at Scout? And he was like, well, as a matter of fact, um, it's not public knowledge yet, but I've just been named co-publisher. So send it to me and I'll, you know, and I'll circulate it, um, you know, uh, among everybody else. Cause I, everybody has to agree. Like there's a whole, you know, group of people there at Scout. They all have to agree that they want to publish something. Um, and so, so it really was just like, like me reaching out, but it wasn't just like me reaching out blind, right? Like, like, um, Charlie's a good guy and he's a good friend and he'd be a good friend, you know, regardless of, of what his position was at, at Scout. And so like what I, what I always try to tell people is just, you know, try to make relationships and don't, don't focus so much on like the immediate return. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause if I was just solely focused on an immediate return, you know, I could have been like, Oh, this guy didn't, you know, he didn't share my book. Well, you know, screw him, you know, and you, you kind of come across those people and you can sort of, figure out like who the drive-bys are, right? Like who, who just sort of want something and then they're out. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, but... By the way, will you back our book and share it on your Kickstarter? <laughs> yes, he, he, yes. He, he already sure. has. <laughs> all right. Okay, then I'm done for the night. Later. Yeah, it's all him. He's all out. Right. He's out. Noah's out. No. Um, yeah, you know, like, but you, you guys know, right? Doing Kickstarters, like you, you get those all the time. Um, but it really is like comics is a community and Kickstarter is a community. And the more you can get involved in the community um, and just make relationships and, and friendships, like just make friends. And, um, and eventually, you know, your friends will be in a position to help you out. And what, you know, whether that's their co-publisher at a, at a publishing company or, you know, they've got a, a Kickstarter that they, they share your project with, you yeah. know. Yeah. That's, that's really great advice. So I know that you said that you take sort of the, the mantra of, you know, making things, doing things for yourself and not sort of waiting for others. Uh, but, you know, you, you get this opportunity with Scout and that's going to have, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's a step up from running a Kickstarter. Now you're going to have a book that's in, sure. in previews, it's going to be on a shelf. So, so what was it like sort of shifting over to like, um, doing promotion to, you know, let folks know that it was in previews. And then eventually what was it like to, to walk into a shop and, and see it sitting on a shelf? Yeah, it's cool. It's cool to see it sitting on a shelf. Like, I, you know, the, the process of letting people know that it's out there is a little bit like promoting a Kickstarter, you know, you're, you're sharing the diamond code and, and all of that fun stuff. But, uh, but I also called a fair amount of shops. You know, I, I was given a big list by scout of, of scout friendly comic shops. And so I would just, you know, pick up the phone and call and introduce myself and say who I am and what I got going on. And red Xmas number one is coming out from scout. And, um, you know, most most shop owners or people that I talked to were super duper friendly, um, and uh, it was not nearly as terrifying as you know as it sounds. Just picking up the phone and cold calling, um, you know, and, and then and then you just sort of like wait, you know. Then you because like with Kickstarter, you know immediately how it's going, mm-hmm. right? 
But when your book is in diamond, you have no idea how it's doing. And um, so eventually, you know, the book comes out and I, I did a signing at a local shop, um, a COVID safe signing. There was nobody in the shop. I was just there in my mask signing, signing books. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to like my, you know, cause I bring my kids to that comic shop and they see my book on the shelf and that's cool to them, you know? Um, so that's nice. And, uh, and then, and then when you get a check, you know, from the publishing company, that is also nice. But, but I have to say like the, the real payday um, is in Kickstarter. Uh, that's like, it's, it's such an odd thing. Like your book reaches so many more people in a comic shop, but the economics of the comics and, and the way Kickstarter works is that, you know, Kickstarter, you're selling to so such a smaller group of people, but the money itself is so much better. But now that money is going to pay for your art. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, there's not really a, a ton left over for you as the project creator. Mm -hmm. um, so then it's nice to be able to get a check from a publisher on the back end of that for sure. You know, it's just a different, it's a different revenue stream, but it also does sort of up your profile in a way. And it does help you, like it helps you approach other publishers being, being already published. Yeah. You had mentioned the work begets work. Yeah. So the fact that, you know, it's just sort it's the of same like principle. stepping stones. It's sort of like, you know, I've did this, I've proven, I've proven myself this way. What's, what's the next person I can prove myself to what's the next person I can you know try sure. to get work from so yeah I, I can see that as well and it all gets you a new audience members too right so you've got your kickstarter audience that you you know worked hard to get and then they'll come over to your scout audience you know mm -hmm. or to the scout audience right and come and buy the book in the stores and then you can get the scout audience then your next kickstarter you have a bigger audience which is great yeah that's that's the hope yeah yeah yeah, that's right. awesome. So this is volume two of, of the book. Um, you did five issues for, um, uh, you know, volume one, which is sort of like the, the, the standard length of you get like a Marvel or a DC trade. It's, it's five issues. Mm -hmm. um, so what were sort of the challenges or the approaches to, to starting, a, starting a second volume? Because I'm sure what you did was you told a complete story in, in volume one, maybe you left a couple of like dangling plot threads that you could you, you could move into to volume two, but what were, what were some of the challenges of, of starting fresh with, with a new volume of this? Yeah, so the challenges are making it new reader friendly, making it so that people picking up the first issue of volume two, if they, if they hadn't read the previous volume, could at least quickly get up to speed. Um, and we sort of got around that by doing like a, you know, like TV shows used to have that, that thing at the beginning where they'd go previously, you know, and then they'd show clips, you know, mm -hmm. so, so I kind of did like a clip, uh, you know, some, some quick clips from volume one and sort of like tried to tell the story in as much of a spoiler free way so that if you wanted to go back and read that volume, there would still be some surprises, but you could at least get up to speed and kind of know, um, know where you were. Uh, here in this story. So that was a challenge. And then the other challenge was because we had done, so so we released volume one on our website, like I said, and, and we did have a mailing list, but we weren't like super religious about it, uh, keeping it up. 
Um, so there were a lot of people that that bought volume one that we didn't necessarily have access to. Um, and we'd release it on Comixology and it was the same thing. It's like, I can't, I don't know who bought it on Comixology. I can't reach those people. Mm -hmm. And it was also heavily pirated. Um, so, so like, I don't know how to reach those people either, you yeah. know? So that was really kind of the challenge. Um, and then, and then also, you know, because it is such like an unusual title, right? I, I think it does like, it catches some people off guard, like, wait a minute, what, you know, what, it, like Charlie said, you know, he wasn't sure some of his, his higher tier backers would, would like a title like that. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, that's a valid, that's a valid concern. Um, so, I, so I think, you know, that was part of a challenge. So it was, it was basically like we were launching it all over again, even though it was a volume two. Um, and we, you know, we, like I said, we did finally collect volume one on Kickstarter, but it was our second Kickstarter, you know, like uh, we still didn't have a huge track record there. Um, it, it's not like that was a project that did just gangbuster numbers, you know what I mean? Like, um, so so it was in a lot of ways like starting from scratch, but, um, you know, but, but we funded and, and did a little bit better than funded. And, and the response has been really good. I'm really curious to see like what, what response to the, the second issue is going to be like, because, um, you know, people who, who read the first issue seem to be excited for the second issue. So I'm hoping that like people will come back and more people will be interested and, and come check it out because it's a wild ride. It's like if you're a fan of Preacher or The Boys or, you know, crazy over the top stuff like that, this is the book for you. Man, and, that sounds awesome. you know, I, I'm assuming another way for folks to catch up is in the Kickstarter, right? You're going to, you know, this with this being a volume two, I'm assuming you're going to have physical sort of catch ups, uh, digital catch ups for for folks to do. So you know, if they if they weren't in on volume one, but they see this and they're intrigued, if they want to get that full story, they're going to be able to do that through this Kickstarter, right? Yeah, people will be able to get uh, volume one as a digital download with audio commentary, or you can get the print edition, the trade paperback. And then also uh, issue one of the second volume, as well as, uh, you know, the, the new issue and the variant covers like you, anything PBOW that we got, you, you can get here in this campaign. Do you have the, the variant covers uh, already like lined up and planned out and everything? Yes. So, so we had originally, we had originally intended for the, the second issue to come out last year and it didn't because... 2020. Mm -hmm. um, so to make it like extra special, we did like this epic wraparound cover because I Ooh. always, you know, I remember, yeah, all the all the old books that had those wraparound covers. That was such a cool thing. So we did a, a, a wraparound cover. So that's our main cover. And then then we have um, then we have another one that's like an homage to James Bond. Um, it's it's based on the man with the golden gun cover. Uh, this is the man with the metal dick, uh, <laughs> and that's 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 a reference to a character who shall be born in this uh, in this new issue. This is a this is an origin story, a first appearance of the man with the metal dick, uh, and he plays a a very big role in this second volume of PBOW. So, so is the I, variant the cover of like 
the old poster with like the bullet being loaded into the gun and stuff like that. And yeah. being pointed out. Okay. I yeah, love that yeah. poster. Yeah. yeah. It's uh it's pretty insane because we took like you know, we took all of the characters, like there's a lot going on on that poster. And we took all the yeah. characters, you know, from our book and subbed them in, you know, for, for various people on the, on the poster. And it, it just worked out perfect. And that's by Tony Donnelly, who does a book called uh, Albert Einstein Time Mason. He killed it. And then um, uh, Fabiana Mascolo, I'm probably mispronouncing this name. Uh, she's an Italian artist. She painted it. She actually oh, like painted nice. the the cover, um, <laughs> and it's fantastic. I think she does Firefly. Um, she does the colors for Firefly. Uh, I think maybe with Dan Panosian. She does something with Dan Panosian, and um, and she did Yasmine at Scout. Cool. Wow, she's nice. the artist on that. So if I CGC that, are they going to have to put on the label? This is the first appearance of the man with the with the golden dick up at the top. Probably, probably. That, yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's worth it just just to make CGC do that, right? Please, please do that, Matt. Please, I'm begging you. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, so how about if you, as we close up here, um, you know, give us the overall pitch for PBOW and tell us a little bit more in depth about like what we can expect in, in volume two. Can yeah, you do, sure. Can you do a previously on two <laughs> in your best radio voice and then and then do the pitch? Previously. Six pregnant women sucked from the time stream by inventor Nikola Tesla accidentally kill a young Hitler and make the world worse. Now they must save the world from a hell of their own creation before their water breaks. <laughs> So now the, uh, the ladies, that's the elevator pitch for the whole series, but, uh, but now the ladies are, are on a mission. See, Tesla is, uh, is Charlie to their angels, right? And uh, he was kind of like destroyed in the, in the previous volume. So now like they've got Tesla parts. He's like, he's extended <laughs> his life through robotics, right? And so uh, he's in pieces. Uh, he's, he told them right before he died to that they needed to go find Thomas Edison. So they're on a mission to go find Thomas Edison in this volume. And uh, what they really wanna do is, uh, is recover the time machine. If they can get Thomas Edison to help them fix the broken time machine, they can get back to their, their real time. Uh, actually, I, I believe first they have to uh, they go back to the moment where they accidentally kill Hitler. They have to fight themselves to stop that from happening, and then they'll be able to go back to their uh, to their regular time. So, so this volume, they're on a mission to find Thomas Edison. They found him in volume one, but they found him on a bridge that's uh, that's over a river where lurks the fabled Gustave, the albino dick-eating alligator, okay? <laughs> so they, they, they run into Edison here on this bridge, and at the end of issue one, the bridge snapped, and all the ladies and Edison, and, and he's got a group called the Anti-Bitches, uh, they are all falling into the water, and in this issue we meet Gustav and, uh, and the man with the metal dick is born. Oh my God. Wow. Oh, beautiful. I'm just so excited. Yeah. 
<laughs> that, that is, yeah, that, that, that just sounds super awesome. So, um, Noah, do you have any, any final questions or, or thoughts as we, as we finish up here? So many, but I'm just hoping you can come back on sometime soon to answer all of them and talk more comics. Cause it was, it was great just getting to know you on this one and getting to know your process or just getting a glimpse at your process. And of course, knowing, learning about your stories, but uh, I'm really excited to check this book out. And thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'll come back anytime. Awesome. awesome. So um, the Kickstarter is going to be, you know, as we're recording it's the, the Kickstarter is going to be launching um, tomorrow. Um, and we will, we're going to put a link uh, to the Kickstarter in the, in the show notes as it launches, but where else can people find you online? You know, if you want to give out any Twitter, or Instagram, social media, web pages or anything like that. Absolutely. So uh, you can find my stuff at friedcomics.com. That's the website. And then um, I'm on Twitter at Clay's Evil Twin, and I'm I'm on. You can you can follow me and send me a message, and we'll have a grand old time. Awesome, awesome. Well, we're going to put links to that as well in in the show notes, and I'm I'm really excited about this this book, and everybody should definitely be be checking it out. So, thanks thanks for being on, Clay. Uh, yeah, for anybody. For Yep. For anybody listening, if you give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we'd really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we're on Twitter at Construct Compod. Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Also, in the show notes, there'll be a link to Dino Thrasher's Fire and Ice. Um, Noah is the artist on that book and I am the co-publisher. Um, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics and we'll be back with a, another episode very soon.